I'm Michael Foster. And I'm Emily Foster. You're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, skill, and wisdom. What do we have in store for our listeners today? This is volume two of the Married Edition, where we answer your questions about marriage, sex, children, and household life. Excellent. Well, let's do it. Basically, we answer questions that we've received via email, through Twitter direct message, uh, on the Facebook page, uh, just things that come up in conversation. So we're going to do these every so often. We've uh, obviously should have listened to volume one. This is volume two. I'm sure there's going to be a volume three next month. But we've got a lot of uh, good questions, some that are kind of hard to answer. We didn't do a ton of prep on this, so we're not reading directly from a script. And and uh, we've got a couple of notes here and there, so hopefully this is helpful to you. But this is a little bit off the cuff. It's raw and uncut, so take it that way. But the first question we have that was directed to Nan and myself, how do you work out a division of labor that respects sex differences. Do you guys, not in myself, iron clothes? Or is that just going too far? So Emily actually has a funny story, at least I think it's funny, about going too far with ironing clothes. Yes. So when we were first married, we were both working full-time and going to school full-time. So we would do laundry, and then it often would sit in laundry baskets unfolded for a long time. And get wrinkled. Super wrinkled. Super wrinkled. So we kind of became OCD about ironing our clothes. Obsessive. (laughs) It, It was, I think it did start out innocent enough. But there was one night, I recall, as I was ironing my pajamas. Yes, my pajamas. They were really cute, these these cute pink calico cotton pajamas with little flowers on them. I was ironing them before going to bed and I was thinking, I have a real problem. <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. It wasn't just look, we're not just ironing these. We we were actually spraying them with heavy duty starch. It comes in like a a spray can. Well, we had two kinds. We had like starch and then heavy duty starch. I know. It was like, it wasn't enough for me. And then a spray bottle of just water. And we went out to San Diego and stayed at the Goodmanson's house and they're like, what's wrong with you guys? You guys got to iron everything. (laughs) I don't know that they even ironed enough. So we don't do that anymore. We don't do that. We 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 won't go that far. These days we do iron clothes. But the, the reality is, iron iron clothes sometimes, and some Emily sometimes Emily does. Sometimes she does it for me. Sometimes I do it for my kids. But we we really do. That is not. The, I don't see anything feminine about ironing clothes. Yeah, the boys know how to iron, and I. Think Galilee can iron a little bit. I think it's kind of the same thing as how our culture has feminized sewing. Yeah. Um, and when one of our boys started taking an interest in sewing, I said to him, "I said, you know what they call men that sew, right? They call them tailors." Yeah. And so there, there's ways these things can get twisted. It's you don't want to have these weird artificial designs. Now that being said, there are some traditional division of labors in households and and they have mostly to do with the physical strength of the man 
Uh, we are bigger, we're stronger, we have uh, quite literally better skin for it, thicker skin. So I spent a lot of my day today uh, doing a lot of yard work. Our, uh, we were out of town for about 10 days and the yard was overgrown and the kudzu out here grows like crazy. And so I'm just ripping all sorts of stuff out. So I'm the one that does the yard work uh, generally. If uh, My wife might throw down some mulch, but I'm the one to carry the heavy bags because it's not a big deal for me. But I can. I can carry the heavy That's bags right. if I need to. That's true. And the reality is, is that we are kind of weak in modern times. There's things that women used to do. Uh, that were very challenging and very hard. So there is a division of labor in our house. I don't know how I would explain it, but maybe this will be helpful. We did have a, a really life-defining argument when we had been married about a year and a half, maybe two years. And it, it was the start of a big change. Do you recall what that was over? It was over dishes. You and I were both in school and we both were working. And I remember coming home and getting upset with you that there were still dishes in the sink. And so I got argumentative, and we had a big old fight over it. It's funny that our, our last newsletter for you subscribers, you know, was over dishes. We talked about who does the dishes. It, it got really intense. Why did I get so upset? Were you off of work or school or something? I think you got upset because I suck at, at that sort of stuff. I suck at dishes. I, you do suck I, at I don't. I don't know. I. <laughs> you suck at anything that has to do with rotten food. Too. Oh, I hate rotten food and folding laundry. I'm. I'm the worst at. I don't understand how you do. Like it's like origami. Yeah. Like for me, I'm like no. I just iron it. <laughs> but we got in this big old fight. <laughs> and, That's what we did for a long time. And what the the problem was. Is that she had? She was developing a career. You're becoming a registered nurse. That wasn't the. That was not Plan A, but Plan B became Plan A, and things mm-hmm. got screwed up. And I was working for Sally May at the time, and going to school at Northern Kentucky University, becoming studying history. So we both kind of had these two careers that were pulling us in different directions. And there was no children. And I'll tell you that when you have children in your home that starts to rearrange the labor because you just children bring focus to it and uh, there's things that emily can do that i can't like nurse children she's uh more uh she's more patient with kids than i am you know not i'm not super patient with them it amazes me what you put up with and uh, so i think that starts straightening out i don't know what else do you have to say on that one well with the nursing with being in college and having two careers and being pulled two different directions. I recall like when I first graduated, really what I wanted to do was get married and have a family with you. But there was a lot of pressure to go to college and have a career or or at least have some sort of skill set. Well, and the reason was... In case we got a divorce. Well, no, no, they didn't say that. They're dishonest. Oh, that's right. What did they say? They said, in case he dies... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but really, Very morbid. what they really meant is in case in we case, got a divorce. Yeah, right. that's true. So yeah. so, yeah. So, I think slowly over time, the erosion of the university wore on me. And I started thinking about not just, you know, getting my college degree and working for a period of time and then staying home once we had a family. I started thinking about, like, well, maybe I would want to be an instructor or maybe I would want to do this or that in a hospital, Mm -hmm. or maybe I want to get my master's degree because there were programs that I could go from this degree straight on to a master's program 
So anyway, I think slowly over time, I just started assimilating. And the the power of culture of the people around you, you don't want to underestimate it. Mm-hmm. I know one of the best decisions we ever made was uh, putting a baby in you, <laughs> get him pregnant. And uh, so it was a, it was a very difficult thing. I think it was hard for you. It was it, it was scary because I was intimidated by the responsibility. I think that was what really um, made me nervous about having children because I felt that I wasn't going to live up to what I needed to be because I don't. I am. You talk about me being patient, and there are days where I am anything but. But, it's but they're like, still alive. But there's, they and are that's the difference alive. between you and I. <laughs> so. Okay. The other thing I was thinking about was when I did start staying home full time after Hudson was born, was I remember getting frustrated about trash, about the trash being taken out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it dawned on me, like I had this epiphany, like, I'm the keeper of the home. I could take out the trash. That's right. Da da. So that's what I started doing. Instead of like waiting for you or requiring you or getting grumpy with you, mm. I just took it out. And now we have children who can take <laughs> it out. Hey, buddy, can you go take this out for me? Thank you. Well, I remember also a thing that I told my wife. I said, "Look, if we start having children, if you stay home with our children." I will take care of you the rest of your life. Mm. I will provide for you. I will make sure you never have to work again. If I have to work two jobs, if you have my babies and raise them up to fear God, yeah, I will I will deliver one way or another. And so those things have that's the sort of those are the commitments that change the division of labor in your home. So Emily's mostly taking care of the kids. She's educated my kids on the front line in terms of homeschooling. She is doing the dishes most of the time. But when I wake up in the morning, I like to sweep the house. We have a hardwood floor, so I'll sweep the floors. I like them look nice and clean. I don't have a problem taking out the trash. I take out the trash uh, probably about 50% of the time if my son Hudson doesn't do the rest of the time. So I think what happens is when you have this purpose that's greater than yourself, children, legacy, building a household, division of labor starts to sort itself out. Mm -hmm. So what I would tell anyone out there that's trying to figure these things out is don't get lost in the detail. Get the big picture right. Get the, you know, as Mark Driscoll used to say, the big E on the I chart. That's what you want to focus on. (laughs) (laughs) Not that we're recommending Driscoll. He's kind of gone crazy. But anyway, focus on the bullseye and things will start to come together. Okay, let's get to this next question. How do you practically handle the curse from Genesis 3.16, particularly about that woman woman wants to rule over man? How should a husband handle a wife that has a very hard time fighting that desire for him? Because to me, it doesn't seem to be reasonable for the husband to force it. Kind of worded weird there. How, how do we deal with women that want to rule over their man? What do you think, sweetheart? Well... As I was thinking about this question, I thought about, okay, how would you summarize this whole thing with Genesis 3.16? So the curse is that a woman would desire to reject the created order of authority as established by God and usurp her husband as the head of the house. So when you look at it in that stark light, you recognize it for what it is, that she disagrees with God in how he has distributed authority. She's saying she knows better than the Almighty God who 
has infinite wisdom and all authority over his creation. I'm not exactly sure what what is meant by um, it doesn't seem reasonable for her husband to force it. I don't know what that means to to force it. Um, a husband should call his wife to follow him, to submit to his leadership. Yeah, I said the S word. <laughs> submit. But very rarely should he have to verbally invoke submission. It's not like a card he should throw down all the time. He should be calling her to follow him by leading her well, by by casting a vision of where they're going. A woman wants to be going on an adventure with her husband her man. She wants to help him achieve the goals for their household. If she's struggling to follow, it's highly likely she doesn't understand the path you're on. So as a man, you need to cast a clear vision and reorient both of you to it often. It'll help keep your household on target. I think one thing you should think about is think about, just think about authority structures Think about, let's take a pastor. Imagine a pastor, when you tell your pastor, look, I disagree with the direction of the church. Imagine a pastor looking at you and saying, you know what? You should sit and submit. You should just submit to me. Imagine that, okay? Now, how would you react to that? Well, you wouldn't react well. But if the pastor said, look, here, this is the vision of the church. These are the principles we're committed to. When you became a member of this church, you made a covenant to back these principles. And here's how this thing we're doing right now fulfills that. This is how it glorifies God, right? That that would be a wiser way to go about it. Even if the pastor does have the authority and all that, uh, he still wants to uh, be a leader. So authority doesn't allow you to skip developing leadership skills, the ability to make a case, to persuade people, to bring them along. Authority is something that a leader has. You want to be able to lead people. So with a wife, if a wife is not submitting to you, what you want to say is, okay, what is causing this lack of submission? Not so you, not that everything's your fault. That's not what I'm saying. But you want to think through, how can I bring her along? And sometimes you just have to say, look, you are just being stiff-necked and rebellious. I love you. I love our family. I'm trying to lead you, but you won't obey. Now, do you fear God or not? Because here's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. Sarah called her husband, Lord. I am your Lord. I am your master and ruler, and I care for you, and why won't you follow me? There's a time where you have that sort of conversation. But man, I'm telling you, if you're throwing that down all the time, you're probably a crappy leader. Right? That would be true of a pastor, that'd be true of a magistrate, that'd be true of a of a manager at a company. You want to make sure the purpose of your household and what where you're going, the direction you're going is clear to those people underneath your care. And so that's what I would say. You know, the other thought that I had with this is about headship and her desiring to rule over him. Frankly, I am so very thankful not to be the head of the house. Heavy hangs the head that wears the crown. I see the weight of the responsibility on my husband, and I have great input and influence. While I do, he is the one that bears the responsibility ultimately for the household decisions. Now, I still have agency. I still bear the responsibility of any sinful decisions I help to make. I have to confess and repent of those sins before God, but I'm totally happy 
not to make those final decisions and and just submit to his leadership. I don't always agree with him, but I often do. We usually talk through things pretty thoroughly before he makes a final decision, so my thoughts and opinions are always well heard. During the times that I have disagreed, I think for the most part I've done it respectfully. Early on in our marriage, maybe not quite so respectively, (laughs) but I think over time I've got better at it, I think, I hope. Well, what I would say, if you're listening, listening to this podcast with your wife, wife, let me speak to you for a moment. It is very difficult, the, the burden we bear. My decisions, if I decide, so right now we're moving from South Carolina, we've been here almost five years, we're moving back to our hometown of Cincinnati. That's my decision. And my wife's happy because it's her hometown as well, but my children aren't so happy, Right? They're mixed. And so my decisions that I have to make, I bear the responsibility for it, but it also affects the people underneath me. Mm -hmm. My kids are losing their friends, and they have to start over again. Now, I'm okay with that. Life is full of stuff like this, but it still is the weight I bear. The decisions I make to move from this state to that state, to this job to that job, uh, this church to that church, All these things, they affect the people underneath me. And I care deeply about my wife and about my children, how they're going to develop as Christians. These things matter to me. And it's very difficult to make hard decisions like that. So wives, please have patience with your husband. I know, I know you're so much smarter, or at least you think you are. Right? I get it. I get it. But it's his decision, and he bears the brunt of it. Support him, give him good counsel, and know that a good man will admit when he's wrong, Mm -hmm. but he has to make a decision, and that's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want a man to take action and lead your home. You say you want a spiritual leader, (laughs) right? We always hear this from women, don't we? Oh, we do. They always say, oh, I want a spiritual leader. What they really mean is they want some guy to do Bible study with them. They don't want some guy to lead their household. Well, they do, but they want him to lead it her way. That's right. They want, basically, he's an avatar for them. They, and so, look, if you want your man to be a leader, you got to give him space to lead. Mm-hmm. If you want some little puppet, well, do what you want to do. But I'm telling you, it go on, I, Well, I can just testify that there's times where I think, oh, I would have totally done it a different way. And then you see God's blessing on his decision and the route that he went. So, you know, like we talk about a husband casting a vision and, and the wife orienting herself to his vision and, and that this is for the household. That, yeah, maybe you had a route that you thought would be best, but you see God's hand in it and, and see how his decision was the ideal one. Now, here's another one, okay? Here's another question. I'm going to try to reword this one, okay? It's a little rough. Uh, what what should a husband do if his wife is not in the mood? He uses scare quotes, not in the mood. Uh, and then he talks about how a man has an intense sex drive, and that's true. A man's sex drive is stable if he's hormonally healthy, 
where a woman's sex drive is cyclical, right? It, it goes up and down with her menstruation. It has a lot to do. Right as she uh, ovulates, there's a huge explosion of testosterone. But even at that point, she is not the same level of a man. So uh, often a husband and a wife are on different schedules. Mm-hmm. My schedule is... Yes, please. <laughs> Her schedule is different. And so if a woman's not in the mood, what, what, should, what should she do? Should she just give in to her husband's desire or should he be more patient or what, what would be our answer? So I'll let you go in first and I have some thoughts. Well, you kind of touched on some of the things that I was thinking about. Like, I do think that there's a bit of give and take needed here um, because a man's hormonal levels, as you said is extremely steady. And so his sex drive is extremely steady, whereas a woman's hormonal level varies throughout her cycle, and so her sex drive varies with it. A husband needs to be fairly familiar with her wi- his wife's uh, monthly pattern and be understanding. Likewise, a wife needs to be thoughtful about her husband. He is... What is it? Consistently ten times? It's somewhere in that area. It just it just depends, but it, it, it's it's uh, exponentially different. Like ten times higher hormonally than women are on their peak sex days. Uh, uh, two books I recommend at this point. Well, I think her name's Brizendane, Lorraine Brizendane, but it's uh, the male brain and the female brain, and those are uh, you can listen to them on audiobook or whatever. Nonetheless, that's like pretty intense. It is. So. That's an area she can help him with. It's a way that she can care for him. And really, what a wonderful thing it is to have the affections of your spouse. My thought is that a man cannot be controlled by sex. He just cannot be controlled by it. If you're from the red pill sort of guys that listen to us, that is blue pill and beta to the max. Men that are defined by their sexual desires. And as a man, I want to be able to walk away at any time. I I do not want a woman to be able to use sex to control me or manipulate me. I want to be beyond that. And uh, so I do have sexual needs, but what I really am about is about the mission, Hmm. about the mission of my household, about the goal. So what I want to tell you, men, is work on that. Be, Be a... We always hear about these workaholics. I don't meet very many of them, but I got to tell you, we are meant to be away from our home for long periods of time. Whether we're hunting giraffes in Africa or building a business, men aren't meant to be at home all the time. And we live in a society where we just have great comfort and ease. And the reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of guys just have too much free time. And, uh, uh, there's some times where my sex drive is very much tempered just by, like, for example, I started a new job right now. I'm doing about 11 hours a day just uh, in, in driving and, and training and all that sort of stuff. I'm very tired. And so what I would say, look, guys, make sure you have a real clear vision. I don't want your life to be all about sex. Um, with that being said, uh, one of the easiest things is have a frank conversation with your wife, you know? I would like to have sex this many times a week. Mm-hmm. I would like, you know, I know some of you guys, I know what you've read. You've read that desire can't be negotiated. Well, that's kind of true, kind of not. Um, the reality is if you want to keep your wife turned on, you need to stay in shape. 
You need to have control of your household. You need to be casting a powerful vision. Those are things that drive sexual arousal. I think uh, also you need to be flirting. You need flirting. to be like sowing the seeds of romance. That's right, man. We are, we're always doing that in our, our marriage constantly, and it's really helped. And I think, I think having a, a goal as a couple of like how many, how many times a month you're going to be intimate or how many times a week. Yeah. A sort of frequency target you're shooting at. So maybe you don't always hit it, but often you do. And so the main thing is to start the dialogue. Women do not understand men. They do not understand men. I always hear women disgusted about men looking up porn. Oh, they're so disgusted. Now look, porn is a sin. Fornication is a sin. But when I hear women talk about how gross porn is, I think, do they know how gross romance novels and rom-coms are? They're disgusting. That's the thing is that that it's possible for women to um, sin similar areas Right, so I think that the way that you, as a couple, need to view anything sexual, is as a couple. So if you start framing it in your mind like, okay, I'm not going to masturbate, I'm not going to read these romance novels, I'm not going to look at this because this activity is all reserved for in the marriage bed yeah. together. Again, you just got to talk about it. You got to start opening up this dialogue. It's an awkward dialogue. It's like finances. I just remember early in our marriage that we couldn't talk about finances without fighting. And Mm -hmm. now we're at a place where we talk about them, and it's not like it's not tense, but we actually are able to make ground. We're on the same page. Also, like anything to do with tickets and car accidents. I remember there was a certain point where I think we recognized that, like, you know, if you got in a fender bender, that was not your fault. Like there was really no reason for the other person to blow up at you, you know, or if you were the cause of the fender bender and it was sincerely an accident. Like maybe you hit a grocery cart corral with the front of your bumper. <laughs> I remember that. And somebody had to come and help wire your bumper to your car so you could drive home. Was that that first, min- that town and country minivan? Um, Is that what that was? No. no. Oh, it, it was, was the- here. Oh, it was here. That's right. It was okay. here at Sam's Club. That was terrible. Okay. All right. Well, look, hopefully that gets you moving in the right direction. Okay. Here's one. I'll, I'll tackle this one. As a young man headed to college, how do I start trying to find a wife who is complementarian, patriarchal as well? Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Look, you, um, women is always my, my rule of thumb with men. So stay in shape, get your finances straight, know what you're about, develop your vocation, go after those things, develop Christian virtue, uh, find a decent church, sit down, develop uh, leadership um, abilities there, look for opportunities to serve and um, grow. That would be my general advice to any man that is just trying to grow as a man. With a woman, what I would say, you need to create uh, sets of filters. So first, you need to be interested in her. So if you're not attracted to her, just ignore her. Um, Then, uh, so after that, I would say you need to uh, be committed to only dating Christian women. You're really going to regret it if you marry a woman that's not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And we all know that even some of the women that profess to be Christians are clearly not Christians. 
And then you have to kind of work your way down. But the thing is, when I say work your way down, I mean work on deeper filters. Um, And you have to, what they'll call it in a lot of the literature out there, blogs, is vetting. You have to vet her. But what I want to tell you is that nothing comes prepped, right? No one comes fully prepared for you. That means you've got to put some work in and see if the person will orientate themselves to you. And a woman that respects you will orientate herself to you. So I think that's what you're looking for. Will she come to your church? Will she, is she excited to be with you? Does she laugh at your jokes? First, start looking for evidence that she trusts your leadership, and that's a big one. I don't really care if a woman tells you she's complementarian. Most of the complementarian women out there are terrible. They're terrible. These women out there that are teaching and writing books that claim to be complementarian, they are just the worst. Mm-hmm. So I don't even care if she, if she cares about that title. What, what you're really looking for is does she respond to your leadership? If she responds to your leadership, well, you got something there, mm-hmm. right? It's something worth like exploring a little bit. But man, walk away if she's not a Christian. Walk away if she doesn't respect you. If she doesn't respect you, kill it. Move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Life's too short. It sucks being single. I get it. It sucks. The temptation to look at pornography, the temptation to resent married couples, I get it, man. But it sucks worse to be in a bad marriage and then get divorced. Any thoughts on that, sweetheart? What's the proverb? I don't know. What is the proverb? About living with a woman that is a dripping faucet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be in that marriage. So guys, that's my thoughts. Okay, next up, uh, can you tell us some instructive stories about how you have wisely disciplined your children in various situations? Wisdom sometimes comes by trial and error. (laughs) So let me just give you the ages of my children, and you need to factor this in. So uh, my kids are all having birthdays in the next couple months, so I'm going to give you the upcoming ages. So 13, 11, 9, 6, 4, and then 2, right? So that's what we have. So the first three are boys, and then I have two girls, and I, then I have a uh, little boy, Cyprian. So that's where we're at in this whole parenting thing. So the first thing I would say is there's a couple of chapters in the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, I recommend. They're like the first couple of chapters, and then there's a chapter on discipline methods that I remember uh, liking. Uh, I feel like the whole book really could have been four chapters, but it's much more than that. And that's how modern books are. So I I recommend that book. So here's my thoughts. Um, Basically, when a kid is young, you want to do less instructing and more commanding. In other words, a child needs to simply obey you. You don't need to explain everything. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we have some international listeners, and some of you guys live in countries where it's illegal to spank. It's not illegal to spank in America, because even though we're kind of insane, we're still not that insane. So what I would say is that when they're young, that's where you want to do most of your spanking, right? Very small children, leading up to, you know, single, single digits is where you're spanking. So mm-hmm. what I expect is my kids to come when I say come and to stop when I say no. If they don't do that, then I'm going to spank them. So obedience is all the way right away with a happy heart. 
All the way means not partial. Uh, right away means no delay. With a happy heart means cheerful. That That's the three factors I'm looking for. No grumbling. No grumbling. Right. And so you want to build that in early on. Early on, you want to go after it. You want to go after it hard. So it's better to be intense on the front end than it is on the back end. Mm -hmm. So as a child ages, though, you do need to make a shift from commanding to instructing. That means these kids now, uh, cognitive abilities are gaining, and you want them to understand the principles behind why you do what you do. So you hear this from a lot of Christians that apostatize, right? Kids that grew up in the, the, the church and in the Christian families and leave, that more or less mom and dad never explained to them why they were Christians and why they did the, the different things they do. So every discipline opportunity is also an opportunity to explain your commitments, your biblical commitments. And so you want to spend a lot of time instructing, son, here's why I won't let you have a computer in your room with the door closed. It's because men look at pictures of naked women and they get addicted to it and it, it robs them of their masculinity. And we do not want to be robbed of our masculinity, okay? We want our strength to go towards our family and towards the glory of God. That's why. So you want to be able to start having these sort of conversations. These are the conversations I'm having with my 13-year-old these days. I have to. The first exposure of he's pornography. 12. Well, he's 12 for the moment, but he's about yeah. to turn 13. Yeah. You rounded up early. Nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, these are the conversations you need to have. So what I would tell y'all is on the uh, front end, commanding, then instructing. On the back end, instructing is where you want to be. And uh, also just know that spanking is one of your uh, tools on your tool belt, but it's not the only one. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that sending little kids to bed without dessert and just getting them in their bed is uh, the right way to discipline sometimes, but also compassionate. They're, they're weak, they're tired, the little bodies are giving out. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, with older kids, robbing them or taking away, <laughs> robbing, taking away their privileges is good. Right, because that's a lot of that's that is how it's going to be in our society. A lot yeah. of times, you lose privileges when you don't conduct yourself in a lawful way. Lose the right to vote, lose the right to decide what you do with your time. Yep. What you have to remember is you're raising men and women. You're mm. not raising children. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to get them there. So we're halfway through the process with one or two. Uh, so take our, our counsel as people that are learning on the way. Uh, I do think that that trip book is going to be helpful to you. I do think also that Richard Baxter and J.C. Ryle have two books, and they both they are like, more like little booklets, and they're called Duties of Parents. So Google those around gracegems.com. Those might be helpful to you. All right, on to the next question. Has there been a time when the other person thinks they're absolutely right? And how did you go about resolving it? Or is it really just a matter of submission? So in other words, are, do I think I, we should go north and you think we should go south? And what did we do to resolve? Well, I, I think when one of us have been convinced we're absolutely right, it's because there's like a clear passage in scripture that demonstrates that's the case. I think we're both willing to consider that we would be wrong. And I think we're also both open to listen to one another's stances, like if they're opposed to each other. 
I don't know that I've ever been like, I'm absolutely right, don't talk. <laughs> you know? No. I don't think I can't recall a time like that. No, I can't. I can't recall. My my way of coming at things is if I'm convinced and there's still time before I have to act, I'm willing to hear someone out. But if I'm convinced and it's time to act and you don't have something con- like for that would convince me otherwise, I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to make a move. So like uh, that's my whole thing. I so I just don't know that there's ever been a time when it comes to our relationship. I really do believe my wife is my helpmate and she's very helpful to me mm-hmm. and I want to hear what she has to say and I'm not I'm not going to ignore it. You know, so I, it just it hasn't happened. But I have thrown down the submission card a, a handful of times. I mean, the only time I can think of that I was absolutely right was when I said that Skyline Chili was the best chili. <laughs> no one knows what that is. It's There might it's, be a couple people in Cincinnati that are like, yes, that's right. It's, it's not true. even chili. You take that back. <laughs> I am not. The reality, chili. It can chili, also go back on top of hot dogs. Hot dogs, yeah. It's gross Like there chili too. dogs. And, or it's got cinnamon. It. It's got cinnamon. And chocolate. That's super strange. It's amazing. We have not had these real deep arguments. and But this I, is deep. <laughs> I, I, think there's probably, uh, I think there's probably some other issue going on there. Um, I really think sometimes you get stuck in proxy wars, right? So like the person's like absolutely convinced about this thing and they're fighting with you. But it's really about some other issue. And so you want to get to the issue underneath the issue. You just want to be aware of inception, Right, where there's the issue under the issue under the issue under the issue, Mm -hmm. right? That's not helpful either. For us, it has not been a big deal. But at times I have said, Emily, this is what we're doing. And she has aligned herself. Yes. What is the godly process to transition a marriage from egalitarian to complementarian? So this one falls to me. What I would say is that sanctification is a process whereby we sin less and less and grow in holiness more and more. And that's true. If you are in egalitarian marriage, it's going to take time to change things. It's not going to change overnight. You're going to have to do it incrementally. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell you husbands, uh, you change first, right? So become the sort of man that has rule over himself that can tell himself no and direct himself and have a strong focus that has a vision for his family and for his household, a man that disciples his children, that prays with his children, that does family religion, a man that has control over his finances, is getting out of debt, he's paying his bills on time, he's actually saving money, making investments. Take those sort of steps, right? Be, be what a man's supposed to be. Be what you were made to be. Focus on that, and then I think you'll find in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, the wife will align herself to you more and more. There might be some hard conversations you have to have, but uh, all in all, I do think she will start to realign herself. And that's where you start, man. You start and, and you start small. And what I want to tell you is that compromises early in life might set you back. Mm-hmm. So imagine, imagine you live 35 years obese and then you're coming up in your 40s and you get in shape. Do you think that did not have a negative effect on your heart, 
on your blood, on on your lifeline and all mm-hmm. that. Of course it did, right? But so what? You don't have a time machine. You can't go back. You can't change that. You can get in shape today, though, and you can get the, the best of it. And so it is with the egalitarian marriage. If your marriage is all jacked up and it's been jacked up for 10 years, yeah, that sets you back. But today is today, and it's the day that you need to take action and, and make the changes you can. Mm-hmm. So the next question is, uh, and this one's for my wife, how are you able to support your husband in his desire to restore the balance of manhood in our society despite our post-fall disposition as women? Uh, for example, the balance of being a good man but not a coward and our desire to rule and lead our husbands. That's a really good question. Um, I try to live out what Titus 2 calls women to be. Reverent in my behavior, not a malicious gossip, not enslaved to much wine, to teach what is good, to love my husband and my children, to be sensible, pure, a worker at home, kind, being subject to my husband, so that the word of God would not be dishonored. I find that when I'm living out what Christ calls me to be, that is the biggest support to my husband. It encourages him to do likewise, to live out what scripture calls him to be as a man. And you know what? It's good to be a man. (laughs) There we go. So number, uh, this next question, number eight on my list. uh, Talk about a man who marries a woman who already has children and the dynamic expectations, potential problems, and blessings. Look, man, I I don't know. I, I can only say a couple things on this. One is I would tell you that the church is constantly telling men to marry single mothers. And what I want to tell you is be very careful. A single mother needs care. She needs the care of the church. She needs people to help her. But one thing we know about a single mother is something has gone really wrong, right? Either her husband died, which is rare, or she has gotten pregnant by a man who's left her for some reason. That may be that she's reckless. It may be that the man was a bad guy. All we know is that there's a lot of trauma or whatever you want to call it in the background here. And jumping in as a sort of uh, white knight that's seeking to rescue her, is uh, that's the tendency of men. Men are always wanting to, to rescue women in bad situations. But man, oh man, can that lead to some trouble. So what I would tell all you guys out there is to think twice about it. Think, think soberly. Marrying a single mother is not the same thing as marrying a woman without children. It is not, and guys, it's not better. It's high risk and something you should think about very carefully. That being said, I, I can tell you from my own personal experience with friends that I've seen a lot of people marry single mothers and have wonderful marriages that have gone great directions. I think you just need to go into it with your eyes wide open and think very carefully because you're going to have children underneath your authority, underneath your care that are not your biological children. That's very awkward and very difficult. Mm-hmm. Moreover, a wife, a woman, just her nature is going to have her more committed to her children in many cases than she's committed to you. Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult situation to be in. And so just go into it very carefully, have lots of counsel, uh, 
I think you need to really understand why she's single, like what went wrong in that previous relationship. In terms of like ongoing dynamics, uh, in terms of uh, stepfathers, stepchildren, stepmothers, I, I don't really have a lot to say because I just haven't put enough thought into it. So I don't want to give you advice in an area that I'm just not strong in. So maybe in the future when I've put some more thought in it, read some books and talked to some more guys, I'll have something for you. But as of today, I've got basically nothing. What's a reasonable time to expect from the moment you ask for your sandwich? and having her bring it to you? Well, I think it depends completely on how involved the sandwich is that we're talking about. If it's a BLT and I have to bake the bacon in the oven first, that's probably a good 15 minutes when it's all said and done. Or is it a quick ham and cheese? Slap it on some untoasted bread, no condiments, and we're ready at about three minutes flat. You know... As I was thinking about this question, it got me thinking that this could result in a really funny competitive sport. Oh, yeah? Yeah, timed sandwich making competition. That'd be awesome, actually. And then I thought, you know, I'm not really that original. So there probably are timed sandwich making competitions. We're going to have to Google it and find out. I did. Did you? Well, I. When I Googled it, I did find out that there were sandwich-making competitions. But I couldn't really find any that were timed, like, based on speed. It was more about, like, construction and creativity. But I'm sure that they exist. But I really, I really do love sandwiches. Someday, when we finally make my childhood dream come true to visit New York City, I want to visit this gourmet PB&J Restaurant? That sounds so lame to me. But like, they, you're gonna go to New York City to get peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No, no, sandwich? no. I'll see all kinds of other things. Okay, all but right. when we do go there, that's like that's like Kevin McAllister. Like the height, the height of riches is to eat a, a cheese only pizza in a limo. But when we finally do go there, I want to visit this restaurant that makes these gourmet PB and J's, and they make this. Um, this pad thai sandwich that I read about That's in this blog post. And then the other thing I thought about was how, like, just last night I sent you a link to this place in Jersey that makes sandwiches, but instead of bread, they use dill pickles. Man, that is blasphemy. That sounds so amazing. I mean, I'm not big on bread, but dill, this has gone far. It's like the low-carb dream sandwich. Okay. I don't understand why you don't get this. Here's a couple things I want to say real quick, okay? One is when I have friends over, I'll, I'll ask Emily, I'll say, hey, will you get me a glass of water? And my wife just goes in the other room and brings me a glass of water. And it is such a blessing for you to bring me a glass of water. I mean, like, it's not a big thing. Like, she's not so proud. She's not above bringing me a glass of water. And my wife will sometimes say, hey, Michael, can you get me a diaper for the kids? And I think, that's fine. I will get you a clean diaper because you're about to have a diaper full of... change the diaper. You're about to change the diaper, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so my wife actually has made me sandwiches. She does bring me cups of coffee. And all it does is encourage me. It encourages me. I actually... On purpose, when nobody's around, I pour his cup of coffee before my own. Really? Well, I wake up in the morning. I'm usually up bef 
for you on average? On average. Uh, recently, I've been sleeping in more. But uh, I'll get up, and uh, but when I get up and she's been up, there's a cup of coffee waiting for me. And, and look, all it does is, is just encourages me. And so, again, if women are listening, I will say, do you want to encourage your husband? Do you want to strengthen his devotion to you? Seriously, bring him a sandwich, bring him a cup of water. I mean, think about Jesus. What does Jesus say? Jesus says those who give uh, someone a cup of water in his name, right, mm-hmm. that those are things that he'll remember. Why can't you serve your husband? You want to go serve, every, all these people want to go serve orphans in Africa. <laughs> all these people want to serve like the homeless. And yet there's all these opportunities to build up the body of Christ in your very home. Husbands being patient with wives, tending to her needs, cherishing her as if she's her, his own body. And likewise, Wh- wives being patient with their husbands or with their children. I say to my kids all the time, like, these are the people you're around the most. You get the most practice with being kind to them. You should do that. If you don't love your family and you don't love your husband, you don't you're love your wife. You're worse than an unbeliever, right? You're worse than an unbeliever and you're not going to give a crap about orphans in Haiti. Save it for someone else. So, look, um, that is the end of this episode. I don't really have anything else to talk about this episode. And uh, I, I, I want to tell you guys that... Go ahead. No, we have to do number 10. Okay, number 10. <laughs> On our list, we had 18 questions. What is more painful, a man with a cold or childbirth? I heard it's a close call. What do you have to say? Definitely a man with a head cold. Hands down. With labor, you get a little break between contractions, and there's an end in sight. The birth of the child. Head cold, not so. It's just relentless, and it could drag on for days. Men, you have my deepest sympathies. I've been there for childbirth. It's disgusting. But when I had that leg infection, you remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the woman's like, this woman came in, so I had a leg. I got a leg infection, and I couldn't walk. It was almost septic. It was. It was very disgusting and difficult, and I had to go to the ER. And the woman came in. I said, "Hey, I have to use the restroom." <laughs> and the woman said, "Hey, pee on this." And she gave me like this. Uh, it's a urinal, like a little. Like, she gave me like it's like a tupper, Tupperware thing. Pee on this. I'm like, I'm not peeing in that. Mm-mm. I'm going to go pee across the hallway. Okay, let me go get the wheelchair. And he hobbles. Yeah, he I'm like, hobbles across the no, hallway. You, you're not going to push me in could. a wheelchair into the bathroom. <laughs> some woman I don't know. And so what you have to understand is that every step I took on my leg felt like someone stabbing me with a thousand knives. But I'm still not going to pee in front of people. You have to understand, we have rules and we have boundaries, and this is not one we've crossed. I will not pee in front of my wife. <laughs> not yet. And so, I don't know. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done.